Lesson 6, Part 3 of Elements of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abai in November 2016. Elements of Geology by William Rushenberger. Lesson 6, Part 3. Similarity of Configuration in Volcanic Islands Different volcanic islands which have been formed under our eyes, as it were, in the midst of the ocean, are entirely analogous to those we have mentioned. The island of Sabrina, at the moment of its appearance, presented a crater which opened to the south, and terminated by an opening through which issued a current of boiling water. According to the accounts, the island of Julia must have been somewhat analogous, and the history given by Captain Tyre, reported by Pepic, shows such to have been the case. On the 6th September 1835, to the north of New Zealand, this navigator almost witnessed a submarine eruption, which presented an annular rock, almost on a level with the surface of the sea in the midst of which was a lagoon having a single outlet and in which the water was burning. Now, these islands appear to be nothing more than points of domes upheaved, like those in the Gulf of Santorin, either instantaneously or slowly, and having the summit broken like Monte Nuovo. These are true craters of elevation or of explosion, as we would call them, and as such they may consist of solid rocks, or of various tufas, or even of scoriae accumulated on their borders. The archipelago of the Azores, which have so often witnessed rising from the sea similar islands, which time has destroyed, presents us one which seems to have escaped destruction, to exhibit to us how all those were formed which have disappeared. This is the rock of Porto de Ileo, which presents a vast circle into which vessels enter for shelter. Its sides rise 400 feet and are composed of volcanic tufa. These phenomena explain to us the origin of a great many islands found in the ocean, both by the analogy of their form to those we have named and their nature. Some are in the form of a horseshoe, having a more or less expanded opening which gives access to the middle of the deep basin they enclose, and in the centre of which isolated volcanic hillocks are occasionally found. Others are entirely circular, having some of the points of the circle more or less broken, or groups of small islands arranged in a circle, which are more or less prominent above the water. Different Periods of the Formation of a Vulcan we may often distinguish in the mass of a volcanic mountain several different parts, each of which corresponds to a particular mode of formation. The first gibbosity or hill is, in general, the effect of elevation of the pre-existing soil, which may be of any kind or nature. Afterwards, sooner or later, a fissure is formed, which produces either a crater of elevation or a dome of pasty matter, as at Jorullo, clearly detached from the first hillock, and, as a last result, in the midst of one or the other a permanent chimney is formed. 
Often the formation of the terminal cone then commences by the scoriaceous matters raised by the melted lava filling the primitive conduit, which overflows the margin of the aperture, or it is ejected into the air, from which it falls again around the center of eruption, accumulating in cones with a maximum slope of from 30 to 35 degrees. These loose scoriae melt on the side towards the interior of the chimney, which they narrow more and more by the successive cornice-like projections they form, and in this way conceal the true diameter of the crater. It is rare that these three kinds of formations are all found in the same volcano, but we always find the gibbosity produced by elevation and one or the other of the secondary domes. At Tenerife there is a broken dome which was upheaved in the middle of a crater of elevation. At Vesuvius, from the constant solidity of the base and other circumstances, we may infer the existence of a central nucleus, produced in the same way as a dome in the year 79, afterwards enveloped in loose materials and bearing on its summit a true cone of scoriae. At Etna we clearly distinguish the primitive hill or gibbosity, showing sheets or coats of ancient upheaved lavas on the middle of the slightly arched surface, which all this part of the island presents. It is terminated by an almost level surface, the Piano del Lago, in the midst of which rises the terminal cone of scoriae, regularly circumscribed on all sides, and clearly separated from the base on which it was formed. On the slopes are small cones of eruption formed here and there at different times, which have since contributed to the swelling up of the whole of the surrounding land. It is clear that the cones of scoriae constructed in the manner just mentioned, at the bottom of volcanic gulfs, cannot be very solid. They often change their form at every eruption. Sometimes the edifice rises more and more, Sometimes, on the contrary, it crumbles into more or less considerable shreds, and hence cones are deeply broken in all manners of shape. Sometimes the whole mass is swallowed at once in the abyss it covered, and is reconstructed by subsequent eruptions. This took place in the terminal cone of Etna, which has several times disappeared entirely, leaving an immense aperture without parapet, in the midst of a little plain which crowned the original gibbosity or hill. At Vesuvius only the upper part of the cone has ever been modified. Interior of Craters Contrary to the expectation of all those who visit volcanoes, the interior of craters seldom possesses much that is worthy of observation. After great eruptions, during which they cannot be approached, these cavities, which are of conical form and have a more or less extensive diameter of the top, with a bottom apparently formed of a sheet of consolidated lava which covers the principal chimney, ordinarily present for observation merely jets of sulphurous vapours, escaping here and there from fissures in the soil, from interstices in blocks of crumbled scoriae, or a greater or less number of small cones raised up in different places. Occasionally we see one or more gulfs, sometimes filled with vapours which escape continually, and sometimes revealing the incandescent lava in the depth, 
sometimes silent and dark, inspiring with terror, but without possessing the least interest for observation. In long intervals of crisis, traces of volcanic action often entirely disappear. In certain instances, even the sides of the crater become covered by vegetation, as is related of Vesuvius before the eruption of 1631. There are, however, some observations worthy attention. The crater of Stromboli, which has been in continuous activity from the most ancient times, still presents phenomena identical with those recorded by Spallanzani in 1788. It is constantly full of melted lava, which alternately rises and sinks in the cavity. Having reached to 25 or 30 feet of the edge, this lava swells, is covered with large vesicles or blisters, which speedily burst with a noise, permitting the escape of an enormous quantity of gas, and projecting scoriaceous matters on all sides. It immediately sinks after an explosion, then rises again to produce the same effects, which are in this way repeated at regular intervals of some minutes. If the lava of Stromboli were less fluid, it is conceived that, having reached to its highest point, it would there stop, assume an arched form, and become consolidated into a more or less elevated cone. And then, if an explosion occurred at a certain instant, a new conical crater would be found in the middle of the old one. This explains what frequently takes place in volcanoes, and, for example, at Vesuvius, where domes have been raised which remained for a long time, and were subsequently broken, giving passage to lavas, and finally sank into abysses left beneath them. Certain craters, having a widely extended bottom, often contain hills of considerable height, which have had an origin such as we have described. Either the lava is arrested at a certain height, in form of a cap, or swelled up at different points, or elevations took place in different matters which had filled the cavity. Sometimes, in place of lava, there is found at the bottom of craters boiling sulphur, as was seen at Volcano, and, on a larger scale, at the Vulcan of Tal, in the island of Luzon, and at that of Azufral, to the north of Quito, in the Andes. Hills and even domes of sulphur are also mentioned, as Monsieur Boussingot observed at the Vulcan of Pasto. A crater now often mentioned by voyagers is that of Kirauea on the island of Hawaii, one of the sandwich group. This vast cavity is three and a half miles long and two and a half wide, and over a thousand feet deep. Captain Wilkes, in his narrative of the United States Exploring Expedition, states that the city of New York might be placed within it, and when at its bottom would be hardly noticed. A black ledge surrounds it at the depth of 660 feet, and thence to the bottom is 384 feet. The bottom looks in the daytime like a heap of smouldering ruins. The descent to the ledge appears to the site a short and easy task, but it takes an hour to accomplish. All the usual ideas of volcanic craters are dissipated upon seeing this. There is no elevated cone, nor igneous matter or rocks ejected beyond the rim. The banks appear as if built of massive blocks, which are in places clothed with ferns, nourished by the issuing vapours. 
What is wonderful in the day becomes ten times more so at night. The immense pool of cherry-red liquid lava in a state of violent ebullition illuminates the whole expanse and flows in all directions like water, while an illuminated cloud hangs over it like a vast canopy. Solfataras there are a great many craters, which for a long time have not given exit to any lava, and are reduced to disengaging, in greater or less abundance, sulphurous gas, which escapes by a multitude of fissures in the soil, and often accompanied by aqueous vapour. Hence the name of Solfatara has been given to those places where these phenomena are more or less developed. There are some craters which seem to have been always in this state. Such, for example, is the Solfatara of Pusuli in the Kingdom of Naples, which is a vast crater of elevation, at the bottom of which are found broken volcanic rocks, daily decomposed by the vapours. This Solfatara is of the highest antiquity, and appears never to have presented other phenomena than those now observed. When in repose, volcanic craters become more or less active Solfataras. It is not uncommon to find one or more lakes, frequently of great depth, at the bottom of craters and solfataras. The waters they contain are sometimes quite pure, but they are often charged with various salts, or sulphurous or sulphuric acid, as was seen in the volcan of Teshem, in the islands of Java, prior to 1817, the year when this mountain was entirely destroyed by the action of gas. Commencement of eruptions. Continuous emissions of gas or scoriaceous matter from certain volcans must not be confounded with eruptions, which are sudden events, fortunately transitory, often bringing desolation over an entire country. When an eruption is about to take place, it is ordinarily preceded by earthquakes, after which it suddenly occurs with more or less noise. If a volcan already exists in the country, an eruption begins by pouring out abundant fumes, composed of various gases and aqueous vapour. Then pulverulent matter called volcanic ashes, the quantity of which is sometimes immense. Then follow directly, when they do not appear from the beginning, fragments of red-hot porous stones called rapili or lapili and pusulani, more or less considerable blocks of solid matter, which are sometimes ejected to great distances. And lastly, portions of melted matter torn from the lava filling the crater, and becoming rounded by their motion through the air, form what are called volcanic bombs. From all this we have, amidst violent detonations, immense bundles or masses of various matters projected to great heights, lighted by reflection from the melted lava, part of which fall at greater or less distances, according to their weight and the force with which they are impelled. Ashes, rapili, or pumice then produce in the vicinity of the Vulcan, sometimes even at a distance, considerable deposits, which becoming solid by their weight and by water, form what is termed volcanic tufa, pumice tufa, and various conglomerates. The vapours and ashes ejected from volcanoes sometimes form enormous clouds, 
frequently dense enough to intercept the light of day and shroud the whole neighborhood in darkness. These clouds, driven by the wind, are sometimes carried to the distance of twenty, fifty, and even two hundred leagues. This happened in 1812, when the ashes of St. Vincent in the Antilles were carried to Barbados, and so darkened the air that persons could not see their way. The ashes of Vesuvius were carried in 1794 to the end of Calabria, and it was found even in Procopus that during the eruption of 452 they were conveyed as far as Constantinople. What occurs at the bottom of seas during eruptions is not seen, but it is clear that the ejection of earthy matters, rapilli and pumice, are not less abundant because we find at these times on the surface enormous quantities of them, and in land upheaved there are seen distinctly deposits of volcanic tufa, pumice tufa and conglomerates precisely like those formed on land. Appearance of melted matters The phenomena mentioned are sometimes the only effects of an eruption, but most generally they are only the precursors or sequence of the expulsion of melted matter, which soon appears under different forms. Sometimes these matters, most frequently in mass, rise in cones or domes above the very orifice from which they issued, sometimes entire, sometimes vertically perforated in the centre, sometimes susceptible of being pushed further out. This happened at Jorullo and again and again in the Gulf of Santorin and the same must occur in a great many other localities. Under other circumstances the crater first formed at the summit of a volcan is completely filled with melted matters. These soon break a passage at a greater or less depth, pouring out torrents which furrow the side of the mountain and run to the plain where they spread more or less. Form of Currents if fissures or cracks of eruption be formed at the foot of a volcano in a flat country, the lava escaping from it at once forms broad horizontal sheets in the middle of the plain. This occurred in Iceland in 1783. Crevices formed in the plain at the foot of Skaptar Jokull, a high volcanic mountain of the country, and an immense volume of melted matter escaped from them. This immediately spread over the soil, covering 80 square leagues, filling up all depressions, and forming a vast lake of fire of considerable depth. But this is not always the case. The current often forms on more or less inclined slopes, and the lava forms true currents on their surface, of greater or less length, a part of which adheres to the land in consequence of cooling and in evidence of its passage. After its exit from the bosom of the earth, the melted matter soon cools on the outside, solidifies, wrinkling and cracking in every direction, and thus acquires a crust, ordinarily porous, the thickness of which becomes more or less considerable. This crust prevents the liquid or paste it envelops from spreading, and confines the current to a certain thickness. Also, from its slight faculty of conducting heat, it prevents the interior lava from cooling, which, from this cause, goes on very slowly. 
lavas have in fact remained liquid or pasty and preserved a high temperature for a very considerable time some are cited as still running on very gentle slopes ten years after their ejection and others which gave off vapour twenty-six years after their exit from the bosom of the earth if after the external cooling the volcanic spring continues to furnish melted lava the current takes place in a kind of consolidated sack which is formed a sack which then strives as it were in all directions is broken and mended successively this causes the twisting and various irregularities in the current of lava when the source is stopped the matter which escaped from it does not continue to flow the less in the sack enclosing it but the latter successively flattens and the middle is effaced leaving a more or less elevated roll or ridge on the margins this is first seen at the upper part of the current then successively to a point where the liquid matter becoming more and more viscid has not sufficient force to drag after it the solid parts formed to break or push them forwards the lava then stops at the bottom of the sack terminating in a club-like mass the form direction and extent of these lava currents vary according to circumstances such as the degree of inclination of the mountain sides and the nature of the lava itself some volcanic products are so pasty they cannot run but remain over the aperture as occurs with certain trachytes which then form more or less elevated domes others such as various obsidians which seem to cool and harden quickly are sometimes arrested in form of great tears even on steep slopes as at tenerife on the contrary stony lavas which cool slowly and long remain fluid are not arrested except on a horizontal plane various characters of the same lava from what has been stated it is certain that lavas cannot accumulate to a great thickness or spread in sheets except on a horizontal plane the structure of lava depends in a degree on its external arrangement the vein which is behind the current on a very steep slope is in parts thin scoriaceous corded and always very porous on less steep slopes the surface of pieces is more united the pores are smaller on descents at an angle of from three to five degrees the dislocated parts are in plates of greater or less thickness the structure of which presents a certain uniformity and the centre is sometimes a little more compact if the thickness is sufficient in great flows causing great accumulations on plains where the depressions are filled up all the inferior part becomes a compact and more or less crystalline mass which is porphyritic because then it cools slowly and tranquilly in this case it is frequently divided through its whole height into columnar masses generally normal on the cooling surfaces and porous at the upper part only this is seen at vesuvius and etna where the lava is very thick and at Iceland in the immense deposit formed by the eruption of 1783. Veins of lava or dikes. 
it frequently happens that in volcanic eruptions there is formed on the sides of the mountain crevices of greater or less breadth through which the lava comes to the surface of the soil these cracks are remarked for a long time after their formation either from remaining partly open or from the rapilli with which they are filled leaving a kind of ditch which may be readily followed they may be also recognized by the partial and crateriform excavations of these debris which all have the same line of direction sometimes they are distinguished by rolls of scoriae on the edges which escaped while the lava was boiling in the interior they also exhibit conduits of lava which unite to each other the different cones of eruption formed on their line of direction it cannot be doubted that these cracks remain partly filled with the lava to which they gave passage giving rise to veins or dikes sometimes the lava flows above the crack or fissure forming sheets on the surface sometimes a coat or bed of lava is found in evident communication with a dike which after having passed up through all the lower deposits stops in the middle of it and it is not rare to find several beds of lava lying one above the other each one corresponding with a particular dike to which no doubt it owes its origin the most recent of these dikes or veins being the one which has passed up through all the inferior beds or tables to form the upper one the matter that constitutes dikes is rarely porous except sometimes on the sides towards the rock encasing it it is frequently even of a finer grain than the table or bed in which the dike terminates its mass is sometimes divided into prisms perpendicular to the sides of the fissure which were the cooling surfaces this matter generally resists atmospheric influences and it frequently happens that the surrounding rock being degraded carried away by external agents the dike remains projecting on the side of the escarpment or even rising out of the earth like a wall gaseous volcanic products volcanic phenomena are accompanied by the production of great quantities of various gases some permanent others condensable or soluble these products consist for the most part of watery vapor but they are found to contain also various acids and other matters sublimated from the volcano most of these gases are fatal when breathed gases always at a high temperature and mixed with the vapor of water act powerfully on the solid surrounding matters they disaggregate and decompose them in all ways reduce them to powder to mud and form new compounds of every kind this happens in all solfataras where it is often necessary to be cautioned against falling into masses of muddy matter which is sometimes very hot but nothing is comparable in this respect to the volcans of java the acid and aqueous vapors which are there in great abundance destroy the rocks and form a paste of them which speedily becomes incapable of resisting the explosive action of the interior these fearful eruptions take place not of lava as in ordinary volcanoes but of enormous masses of boiling water charged with sulphuric acid and thick mud which destroy everything in their way and cover the whole country with a sulphurous slime the matter of which is called bua 
This happened in 1822 on the eruption of Galungung, which, with earthquakes and horrible noises, was considerably sunk, truncated at the summit, and entirely overturned. Torrents of hot sulphurous water and mud issued from rents in the side of the mountain, and many inhabitants were swept away in the waters or buried under deposits of mud during the 8th and 12th days of October. Muddy Eruptions of Quito The volcans of Peru, which like those of Java have rarely produced lavas, vomit from their sides torrents of mud called moya, sometimes sulphurous like the bua of Java, at others carboniferous. This happened in 1698, when the volcan of Carguaraizo crumbled, covering more than 2,500 square miles with mud, and in 1797, when the village Pelillo, near Riobamba, was buried under a mass of black mud, etc. What especially characterizes the eruptions in Peru, and makes them very strange, is that the muddy waters which spring from the bosom of the earth are filled with small fishes, species of which live in the neighboring lakes, and the quantity of them has been sometimes so great as to excite epidemic diseases by their putrefaction. Gases disengaged from lavas It can be readily conceived that gases and matters of various kinds may be disengaged from the bowels of the earth, through fissures communicating with its surface. But what is most remarkable, they are also disengaged from lavas, although on leaving the volcano they have no properties in common. As long as the lava is fluid and at a high temperature, nothing escapes from it, but the moment it begins to harden, and consequently to cool, gases are disengaged in more or less quantity. Streams, matters which fill the lowest levels, then constantly emit the vapor of water, hydrochloric acid, sal ammoniac, which are deposited on the surface, to say nothing of realgar, iron, etc., which are sometimes sublimed in the fissures or cracks. Consequently, the lava itself must contain these matters, which remain engaged in it, we know not how, while the mass is fluid or pasty, and which are disengaged just in proportion as it solidifies and cools, and in a manner which leaves no aftertrace. It is supposed that all these matters give to porous lavas the power of preserving their fluidity for a much longer time than similar substances artificially prepared. Solid Products of Volcanoes all the solid substances which volcanoes produce in great abundance belong to the group of silicates, generally anhydrous silicates, and particular to that division of those confounded under the name of feldspar. These are generally compound rocks, and substances more or less mixed, the principal base of which it is difficult to separate, and therefore they cannot be accurately classified, we are forced to resort to artificial divisions. First, trachyte, from the Greek trachus, rough, is a rock often rough to the touch, and its name indicates, composed of albite or riacolite, sometimes compact, of a ceroid or vitreoresinous and occasionally earthy luster, sometimes crystalline, the mass being finely porous, 
containing crystals of the same substances, and often also hornblende and black mica. Albite, from the Latin albus, white, a mineral so called from its color, which contains silica, aluminia, and soda. A lamellar variety is found at Chesterfield, Massachusetts, called Clevelandite, in honor of Professor Cleveland. Ryacolite, from the Greek ruax, a stream, and lithos, stone, is a glassy mineral of a grayish-yellow to white color, or colorless. Besides silica, aluminia, and soda, ryacolite contains potash. Hornblende, from the German, a kind of dark or black variety of mineral, belonging to the same group as tremolite, actinolite, asbestos, etc. Mica, from the Latin mico, I shine, is a mineral generally found in thin, elastic laminae, soft, smooth, and of various colors and degrees of transparency. It is one of the constituents of granite and its associate rocks. Second, obsidian, from the Greek opsis, view, or after obsidius, who first found it in Ethiopia, is a homogeneous, vitreous substance of various colors. By the ancients it was used in place of glass, and is also called volcanic glass. It consists of silica, aluminia, with a little potash, and oxide of iron. This substance is produced abundantly in the islands of Lipari and Tenerife, the volcans of the Andes, and wherever volcanic apertures open in trachyte. Third, compact lava, a substance with a compact base of a deep color, most frequently formed of labradorite, containing crystals of the same substance, or of the feldspathic group in general, which in the mass presents a more or less distinct porphyritic structure. Crystals of pyroxene or amphibole, black mica and peridote are also occasionally found. Labradorite, Labrador spar, a beautiful variety of opalescent feldspar from the coast of Labrador. It exhibits brilliant and mutable tints of blue, red, green and yellow, and is susceptible of a good polish. It is cut into small slabs and employed in ornamental jewelry. It is a silicate of alumina, lime and soda with traces of oxide of iron. Pyroxene, from the Greek, poor, fire, and xenos, stranger. The augite, supposed to have pre-existed in the volcanic minerals containing it, and not to have been formed by fire. Amphibole, from the Greek, amphibolos, equivocal. A name applied by some mineralogists to hornblende because it may be mistaken for augite. Peridote or chrysolite from the Greek, chrysos, gold, and lithos, stone, from its color, the topaz of the ancients. These substances constitute the center of thick currents, the inferior part of the mass formed in excavation or hollows, they are often divided into prismatic columns. Fourth, porous or scoriaceous lava. 
a substance of the same nature as the preceding, but rarely having crystals embedded in it, and its structure is porous or cellular. These lavas constitute the upper parts of thick layers, and envelope lava currents and streams which rest on the surface of the ground. Fifth, Puzzolani, volcanic tufa. Masses of small scoriaceous fragments or rapilli accumulated around volcans, or earthy substances which contain them in a greater or less quantity. Pumice tufas are formed of fragments of pumice, and trachytic conglomerates of fragments of trachyte united by crystalline or earthy cement. Sixth. To these may be added scoriae in tears, irregular stalactites scattered on the surface of volcanoes, and volcanic bombs, which are sometimes found at considerable distances. Volcanoes furnish annually but a small quantity of materials to the solid crust of the globe, and the upheavals they cause produce very slight change in the elevation of countries where their action is manifest. Nevertheless, if we remember that a great number have been in action since the time of history, and observation shows that a great many more were previously in action, we are led to the conclusion that volcanic substances are important, and their presence must have occasioned great modifications on the surface of our planet. End of Lesson 6